Amen, amen. Wow, yeah, good to be with you. Man, this place is packed out. And may the Lord uh, just keep all of your hearts afire with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you be full of the Holy Spirit and, and just walk in everything that God wants. May you hear from God and in your business world and in homes and um, all your children and grandchildren. One of my family psalms is, uh, is Psalm 112. Blessed is a man who fears the Lord and finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. When I read a promise like that, I put my weight down on it. And so if you need to put your weight down on it, I mean, just keep it, keep praying. God, I love, but my, I have a vision statement. We challenge all of our, all of our students to have vision statements. And mine starts out with, I believe the word of God more than I believe my own emotions or feelings. And so when I see something in the Word of God, I put my weight down on it. And I've, I mean, in the whole, the world conditions and everything, and what we're talking about this morning. When Wes asked me to come, he said, uh, he asked me to, uh, to share about how I see things in today's world. I mean, and just kind of how to, I mean, just if, I, if, if that was a place just, because there's a lot of junk going on today. And most of us are, well, everybody in the room is disappointed over something. Because there's just a lot to be disappointed over, and uh, and there would even be a lot to be anxious over if we. But we're told not to be anxious, by the way, and that's not a suggestion; that's a command. So Paul didn't say, "I suggest to you that don't be anxious." He said, "Don't be anxious," and Jesus said the same thing. Well, how do you do that? You only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. But um, but it was only interesting that that Wes asked me to do that because I I I've only written. Two, I mean, I've written three books, but, but really the second one was just an extension of the first one. One first one is about Israel. And I don't, I, I haven't, I don't write books unless I see something, at least I haven't up until now, until as I see something that I don't hear anybody else saying. And it needs to be said. And that's why I wrote the Your People Should Be My People book, which is about Israel and God's future plan for Israel and Paul's words in Romans 11 that all Israel will be saved one day and his word and Hosea's words for example that they won't have a king for many years which they haven't since 586 BC and a sacrifice for many years and they haven't had one since 70 AD when the temple was destroyed but Hosea says afterward they will return trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So Marty I'm glad you're here to represent the Jewish flock here. <laughs> Just to show you, you got supernaturally, miraculously saved, so why shouldn't these others? And, uh, and it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I, I mean, I'm, I'm deviating, but let me tell you one of the stories. I, I love this kind of story because when I, I love to read about Jewish people who come to faith because, it, because I know they're going to. But let me tell you, one of the, to me, one of the funniest ones, there's a guy named Dean who now works for Jews for Jesus, of all things, and... He was, he finished his, his Israel Defense Fund, I mean, it didn't force the IDF, and they usually just run all over the world. So he went with one of his friends to Brazil, and they were, you know, they were just doing their thing and were out walking one day. And he said to his friend that he needed to be alone. He just, well, so his friend left him, and he just went off and started railing at God, just said, Who are you? Do you even exist? Why are you treating me like this? And he said he felt like a warmth came over him. He felt like somebody was hugging him. And, and he thought, and he knew it was God. And God said, Dean, this is not me. I love you. I'm coming to you. 
And, and anyway, he had this experience, and when he went back with his friend, his friend wanted him to, said, what happened to you? And he said, he tried to tell him and he couldn't talk. And so he thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll try to write it down. The only thing he could write was the Hebrew word Yeshua. But he didn't know what it was. And he didn't know who it was. And when he went back home, then he was looking on the internet one day and saw it and saw that it was Jesus. It made him so mad, he, got a, he ordered a New Testament and started reading it and came to faith. And now he... And now he's working for Jews for Jesus. Anyway, I'm just saying, when I read words, I mean, when I read the word, I just so love the, 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 to watch God fulfill it. So anyway, uh, some years back, I mean, a few years ago now, I don't remember when this, maybe 2018 this came out, but um, I, I, had a, I, I wrote one, and we published it itself, it's called Prepare, but then Chosen picked it up, and they gave it a pretty audacious title, title the handbook for the end times, hope, help, and encouragement for living in the last days. And I, I got a sack full of about 20 of them over there, so if anybody wants one when you're going out, pick it up. I mean, I'm, I'd, I'd give everybody in the room one if I had them here, but anyway, if, if you want one, if you'd read it. But here's what I saw, and, and I, it's interesting because it totally fits on what, what Wes was asking me to speak to. I, you know how, I mean, I hope all of you have this experience, and by the way, I hope you all have the experience, I hope you all have a reading plan where you're reading this book. I mean, it's nice to read some books, but be sure you read this one, and don't trust anybody to read it for you. Don't trust anybody, any pastor's word until you check him out. I'm not, I don't mean check him out, check what he says. If, if, if the Bereans were more noble than those at Thessalonica, Acts 17 11, and they examined the scriptures to see what Paul was saying was true, then you better check the scripture to see if what Don Pinto says or anybody else is true. And so, uh, so anyway, it, it, I, uh, so I was, I was just, but I'm, I'm trusting that all of you have this experience that you're reading the scripture and all of a sudden, a scripture that you've read 233 times all of a sudden just jumps off the page at you. you I never saw that. And, uh, and that's what happened to me one day a few years back when I was reading the parable of the wheat and the weeds in Matthew the 13th chapter. And you remember the story that the wheat was planted and then the servants saw that there were weeds in the field. And so they said to the master, you want us to pull up the weeds? And he said, no, because you might pull up the wheat too. Let both grow together till the harvest. And all of a sudden I saw that, what that's saying. And Jesus goes on to explain then that the harvest is the end of the age. And you can figure the rest of it out. The wheat are the righteous and the weeds are the wicked. But all of a sudden, I saw exactly what's happening in our world right now. That wickedness and righteousness are growing side by side. And they are going to ripen together at the same time. Because till the harvest at the end of the age, and when and and uh, and then I I remembered and I looked over in Revelation the 14th chapter, verses 14 through 20, and I I remember that and I saw that there that the harvest at the end of the age is being described, and because and John says the harvest of the a of the earth was ripe. And you see two angels that go out and reap the righteous and two angels that go out and reap the, the wicked. 
so when I, when I saw that, I realized that, that when I see wickedness, I'm going to look for righteousness because they're going to be side by side. And for example, in the whole Afghanistan thing right now, I mean, there's horror going on there. But you know what? I'm looking behind that, and I'm investigating behind the scenes. And I know, I, I met a guy in Iran who ha, who's over a bunch of, I mean, Iran is the fastest growing church in the world right now. Wouldn't you believe, I mean, you would, you would not believe that, but it's true. I mean, I, at least that's what everybody that knows anything about it. Millions of people in Iran are coming to faith. I mean, Muslims are seeing this man in white with holes in his hand and, and coming to believers and saying, you know him, don't you? Tell me about him. And so, there, so there, is a, there is great revival that's going on and, and, and right in the middle of wickedness. And so one of these guys is over a whole bunch of cell churches, cell, cell groups, home groups, and they have been invading Afghanistan, and now there's a major revival going on in Afghanistan. But you've got to get behind the lines to see that. So anyway, that's why that's I began to see that. And then... I, I remembered, and, and, and so I go back over to Daniel, because now there, when I read the book of Daniel, I, every time I read it, I read the first few chapters, and I think, oh, I'm getting it this time. Oh, I understand this. And then, and then I get over to about chapter 9, and I think, oh, I don't get that at all. What is he talking about? But I get on over to chapter 12, and I get it, because... In chapter 12, God again and again and again, multiple times says in chapter 12 to Daniel it, that I'm talking to you about the time of the end. And in fact, it's really, there's some humor in scripture because when he gets down, uh, there's one time right close to the end of chapter 12, which is the last chapter, Daniel says to the Lord, what, what's the outcome of all this? In other words, God, I don't understand all this you're telling me. And basically, go read it for yourself, but basically God says, don't worry about it, Daniel. You're not going to figure it out. It's about the time. Just write down what I told you to because it's about the time of the end. And so Daniel is talking about the time of the end. And, here's, and he says he sees, he sees two things. He sees wickedness advancing and he sees righteousness advancing. And so he's describing us when he says in the, in the, the third verse, he says, those who are wise will shine like the like the stars or like the sun and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars in the sky. Daniel sees the time of the end when wickedness and righteousness are advancing. And Jesus, by the way, when he's explaining the parable of wheat and weeds, he says in Matthew 13, 43, that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now, he's, let me tell you, that's a description of who you are. See, that's a description of who you're supposed to be, who we're supposed to be in these perilous times. We, you know, one of the things, that, the, the, the biggest thing I see in this whole thing is that we sometimes are spending too much time listening to the bad news. Let me guarantee you something. You will never be the strongest you need to be in the Lord if you too, watch too much of the evening news. Because the evening news is all bad news. The newspapers are all bad news. You cannot grow in the Lord by concentrating on that. We've got to be the Caleb's and Joshua's of our generation who see the giants 
but add, but God. In fact, in fact, I would just have to say that sometimes, sometimes, even in our pulpits, we spend too much time talking about the bad stuff and not enough time talking about what God is going to do right in the middle of the bad stuff. Now, they're, they're, they're both Daniel and Revelation say that the, time, that the times are going to get so perilous that there's a season of time before the Lord returns when the saints are turned over to the Antichrist for a short period. In other words, there's, there's persecution coming. But come on, guys. We've got to get up higher. We do, why do we think that we're going to always have it so cool when the people in China are being put in prison? I was in Jordan the other day with a woman that's been in prison. She was in prison with Brother Yoon, if you've ever read that book, The Heavenly Man. And when he got out, she was still in there. She's been in prison more during her adult roles, but she's got a million people in her downline in the house church movement in China. She and her husband and daughter were there in a, in a meeting that I was in. But see, why should we decide, why should we think that there have been martyrs and people that have, you know, all this in, every, in so many nations, and we're going to always have it so cool and easy? Let's come up higher. Let's get ready to walk through tough stuff. That's what this whole thing is about. And so Daniel describes that, and he describes who you are. And I've already read part of it, but then in verse 10, he says that many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. That's, that, I feel like he's talking about me when he says that. Many will, may, will be purified. I want that. Made spotless. I want that. And refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. That's Daniel the 12th chapter, verse 10. Now, Daniel also says that in Daniel 12, verse 1, that this will be a time when all this is happening. And he's talking about the end times just before the whole thing is wrapped up. And he says that it will be a time of distress such as never has before been before since the foundation of the world. Jesus picks that word up in Matthew 24, verse 21. He quotes Daniel and says, in talking about the end times, I think it's just before he returns, and I think we're moving rapidly into that, that he says that it'll be a time of distress like never before in history, and he and adds, and never to be equaled again. So we've got, as, I mean, are we in that? I really, I really suspect we're in the end times of the end times. I don't know what that means. I mean, it may be a thousand years, maybe a hundred years, but there's something that's different. And, and I began to believe this years ago when I was teaching a class of hippie, hippies turned Jesus freaks <laughs> over in, uh, over in Cornelia, and they were packed out in front of me, and I'd been studying Luke, I'd been reading through Luke with them, and I was at Luke 21, and I was screaming for help because I didn't have a clue what some of this meant. And all of a sudden, I got some revelation that day, and I, and I still, in Luke 21, 20 says, I just, I was in, in Israel the first time in 1967, but I didn't have any clue that it was prophecy being fulfilled then. And, but, but it was just about three weeks before the Six-Day War when Israel took Jerusalem the first time I was there. Miles Ezell Jr., Purity Darius, took me with him. But anyway, in Luke 21:20, 20, Jesus says 
that uh, when you see the, your, the enemy surrounding Jerusalem, you'll know that its desolation is near. Well, that's the destruction of Jerusalem. Luke 21, 24 says that the Jewish people will be scattered to all the nations, which they have. They're Indian Jews and you know, Ethiopian Jews and Chinese Jews. They're all over the world. And he says, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is over. And all of a sudden I thought, ah, I was there on just a little before that happened. Because until before, 19, before 1967, Israel had not been as a sovereign nation in possession of Jerusalem since 586 BC when they were taken to Babylon. They were an occupied territory. But in 1967, I believe Luke 21, 24 was fulfilled. They, they were, they were, Jerusalem was trodden on by Gentiles, the Byzantines, the Turks, the British, the Crusaders, until 1967 when Israel took their own nation. And then he says in verse 28, and this is why I believe we're living in a different kind of time. He says, when you see these things beginning to take place, and I have begun to see them take place, then stand up and lift up your head because your redemption is near. So I think Jesus is saying to us, see, some of you say, well, wait a minute, Fento, we're not supposed to know the day or the hour. I didn't say anything about knowing the day or the hour. I said, I said I'm talking about the season. And when Jesus is talking about this whole thing in Matthew 24, he says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Not even the Son or the angels, only the Father. But then he says, it'll be like the days of Noah. Well, let me ask you a question. Did Noah know the season when the flood was coming? He'd never seen one. Well, you better go read the book. The ark was built and the animals started coming. Hello? He didn't go looking for them. They started coming. Well, duh, it's the season. But did he know the day or the hour when the flood was coming? No. And when Paul is talking about this, he says, well, you know that the, that the, the return of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. But he says, but you, brothers, are not in, in doubt that he will come to you like a thief. And he compares it to a pregnant woman. Well, does a pregnant woman know the season? You better bet she does. Does she know the day or the hour? No. We are to know the season. And I believe Jesus said that we're living in the season. And then you can figure out what he means with the next, with verse 32, when he says, when he says that this generation won't pass away till all these things have been fulfilled. Hello, hmm, what does that mean? It can't be the generation he was talking to. Well, I guess it's the generation that begins to see this. Well, what's the longest time period for a generation in history? The longest time period is 100 years because Israel was in Egypt for 400 years and they came back in the fourth generation. So that, that would mean at least that, I mean, before 2067. Am I saying? It seems like that's probably true. But anyway, we'll see. But anyway, so now, so how do we, how do we view the world? We view the world through these eyes. When we, see, when we see great wickedness, we're going, to see, we're going to look for the righteousness. And we're going to, we want to become the kind of people who, are, who can walk through tough times. 
We don't want to be the kind of people who always have to have it easy. Well, let me ask you this question. To everybody in this room, have you really had it easy all your life? No, you haven't. In fact, I've, I've, I found this passage over in Romans that says that we, that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character in Romans 5. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but not only so, we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character. I personally believe there is no way to develop character without suffering because God uses suffering to slough off. I'm, 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 I'm reminded of how Michelangelo used to go out in these Florentine hills, I'm told, and see this big hunk of marble, and he saw David in there. And all he had to do was bring, bring that big chunk of marble back and chisel out to release David. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's how God is for us. He sees in you who you're to be. And so he uses stuff in, to chisel the excess off so to release the real you. So my question then it would be, how do we, what, what do we do because of that? And, uh, and I... I, I'm, an, I'm an unrealistic optimist, and I intend to stay that way, you know. Why shouldn't I be? The, 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 the book says that God works everything for my good. Everything. So, why, so, so what are, what's my suggestion on how to walk this place? My suggestion is three things. One is obey the commandments. The, other, the second is stand firm on the promises. And the third one is persevere. Don't give up. Obey the commandments. I don't care what, I mean, when you look, I, mean, can, I, I can't say it enough, please. I, please, you read the book yourself. And when you do, you're going to find some things I mean, I, I, I already said to you earlier, for example, that one day I was reading the thing where, where Jesus and Paul both said, don't be anxious. Well, I just always kind of flipped through that. You know, well, of course not. Don't be anxious. I wasn't talking, I wasn't thinking about whether I was anxious or not. I just, that was nice church liturgy. Don't be anxious. And, and all of a sudden the Lord said, and what I told you a while ago, wait a minute, hold it. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. Well, how do I do that? And, I, and I'm, I'm just like you. I'm in some places sometimes where I have to push anxiety back. And I keep pushing it back because I know that God is good. There was one day, and, and when I'm learning to do this, that I was over in the, the old Caleb quarters over at Belmont where I had my office at one point. And, uh, and I, was, I was reading through, the, through, and I happened to be in Psalm 48, I think, verse 1, which says, uh, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And, uh, and I'm all by myself in this house, and the Lord said, don't just read it, do it. And so I started clapping my hands, and, but I couldn't get myself to shout because there's a family lived next door, and if I shouted as I could, I was afraid they'd come take me to the funny farm. <laughs> and, uh, 
But, but I just, I thought, but I really felt like God was telling me to do it. And so I was clapping as loud as I could. And I, I mean, I, I hung there until I got to a place where I could shout as loud as I could because I want to be obedient to God's command. And so, but I just want to encourage you, let's, that's, that's how we do it. And, and then we, and then stand on the promises. I can't tell you how important it is when you read a promise of God, know that that promise is going to be fulfilled and put your full weight on it. And when we, I mean, I mean, for example, the whole thing that God works everything for good to those of us. I mean, put your weight down on that. I mean, is there something, what's going on in your life right now that you don't like? God can use that in you to perfect you as you're maybe praying for somebody else. And then, don't ever give up. No matter how long it takes, never give up. There's a, there's a passage that I, a story that I love over in, uh, that's talking about Jacob. When he was, you know, he ran from Esau because Esau was trying to kill him. And if you'll remember, during, when he was running from Esau, he had an encounter with the Lord. And the Lord gave him the promise that he was the inheritor of the promise to Abraham and Isaac. And so then he's 20 years with his dad in law Laban, and he's coming back. And remember that encounter that he had where he wrestles with somebody? And later it says he was wrestling with God. And he said, and, and, uh, and, and, and this man that was wrestling, whose later is called God, said, let me go. And Jacob said, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And so then God gave him the name of Israel that night. But here's the deal. I believe there are times, guys, that you need to read the promise of God, and God's going to wrestle with you and hoping you'll win. God was wrestling with Jacob, and he wanted Jacob to win the wrestling match. How could Jacob win the, win the wrestling match? Because God had made a promise to him 20 years earlier, and he said, no, I'm not letting go till you fulfill that promise you gave to me 20 years ago. God wanted Jacob to have that kind of tenacity with him. And he wants us to have that kind of tenacity with him and to grow up and become the godly men that we are. Let me tell you something. Every man in this room, including me, there's more that God wants to do in you than he has ever done. Don't you dare get to a place where you coast. There's no coasting in the Lord. I don't care how old you are, how much you've already accomplished. There's more God wants to do in you. There's a better man inside of you than you've ever become yet. And that's what God's calling to us in this generation. So blessings and God, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>